This message comes to you from City Bible Church in Portland, Oregon, where we are committed to living like Jesus and sharing His love. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. Uh, we're on a uh, series we just started last week on values, and uh, I want to talk about today what matters most. We're talking about our values, finding and choosing biblical proven values which we can build our life on. And uh, this is the kind of the second installment. We'll be this in, in, in this for a few weeks. And I, I hope that you'll really get into kind of thinking. This is a thinking kind of series that should lead to action. But there's times in our life where it's important to kind of call a timeout, step back, evaluate, just kind of think about, okay, how's my life going? How, what am I doing? Uh, how am I spending my life resources? Is my life becoming what I think it should be, what I think God wants it to be? Am I becoming the kind of person I'm meant to be? Am I doing with my life resources what God wants me to do? This is one of those reflective kind. And it, in, in times like this, when we step back and think about our life is when we can make course adjustments that can make such a difference for our lives and the people around us in so many ways. So I wanna ask you a question right now. You'll see it on the slide. What values govern your life? What values govern your life? What is your internal navigation system? Like what kind of drives you? What directs you when you make decisions, when you make priority choices, when, when you choose this over that or one direction over another or one option over another option? And, and you know, what, what is it that kind of guides your life? What drives your life? And what are the values that are at the core of that? Now, the way to find out is just to look at how you spend your life resources. Because whatever you spend your life resources, not just talking about your money, the most precious resource we have is time, but also our heart, our soul energy, our creativity, our spiritual life. It's like whatever we spend our life resources on, that's an illustration of what is really important to us what we're buying with our life resources. So it's, we can say, well, I value this, this, and this, but then does that translate into the way we actually live our life? And the purpose of this series is to help us think through that and maybe just make some adjustments to better align ourselves to the values we really do wanna be living out. We define values as critically important biblical core beliefs that drive our life and remain consistent in any circumstance. Your values end up forming like a basis for judgment, a basis for decisions, a basis for evaluation. And, and, and they're there to go back to when things get confusing. When a storm comes, when things get confusing, when you have various options and you're not sure what you wanna do or you get disoriented or you get thrown off track by something you didn't anticipate that hit you in life, values are kinda of that where you can go to to kinda of hang on and get a sense of, okay, well, I didn't plan for this happen, but it's happening, so what do I do about it? And, and values just have a way of anchoring you and kind of locking you down to something that you can depend on, something that's trustworthy, that can get you through difficult situations. It's better to know what those are before you're in a storm than to try to figure out in the middle of a storm what matters. If you find that, figure out what matters during a time of peace, that those things will hold you in a time that's confusing. Everybody tracking with me? Now, Jesus talked about this. And obviously, we want to get our values from the teaching of Jesus. I'm going to go to Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 27. You'll see the, the words come up on the screen now. And it's a very quick, short, little analogy, metaphor that Jesus used to talk about this. 
He said, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. Now look at the first part of this. Sorry, I'm staying on this. Notice he says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it. Now, we go to the, the next slide, which has the next couple of verses. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against the house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. So we've got two kinds of building on two kinds of foundation. And obviously, the analogy or the metaphor is that as we build our life, it's like building a house. And he's describing two ways not only two ways to build, but more importantly, two kinds of foundations to build on. One that's really solid, like a rock that's unshakable, it doesn't change, and the other that's not very solid and kind of shifting like sand that can shift with, and moisture can affect it, and wind can blow it, and it shifts over time, and it's not very permanent. And so he contrasts these two, but notice the difference is not between who listens to him and who doesn't listen to him. Did you see that in those verses? He doesn't say, the person who listens to me is like the person who'll build their life on a good foundation because I'll tell you the truth. And if you listen to somebody else instead of me, like you follow some other religious leader or some other way of thinking, some other person's teaching, some other rabbi, if you follow somebody else, then you'll be like on sand. That's not what he's talking about. Everybody get this? He says, both are listening. Both the build on sand person and the build on the rock person were listening to his words. So what Jesus is trying to clue us into here is it's not enough just to listen to the right source. Now that is important. I mean, if you're not even listening to the right source, then how are you gonna have anything but sand to build on? In other words, I'm not saying that isn't important, but all of us here, are Jesus listeners, or you wouldn't be in a church like this on a Sunday morning, right? I mean, you're at least interested in checking out church or Jesus or something, or you wouldn't be here. It's like, so we're, and right now, you know, I, I just quoted some words from Jesus. So we're Jesus listeners. The question is, are we Jesus followers? Because he says the difference is one heard but didn't obey what they heard. The other heard and did obey what they heard. So the difference is not in whether we're hearing, the difference is in how we're applying. Nudge your neighbor and say, he's talking to you. <laughs> now, I want you to just open your heart a little bit here and let, let me get personal this morning and, and let me lead us in some thinking, okay? This is gonna be a thinking kind of morning. Like, I want you to follow some thought with me here. Now, listening to Jesus and then following what he says, okay? So Jesus taught a lot of things. Do you read them? Do you listen to them? You can't obey it if you don't even know what he said. So obviously, listening's important. So we come to church, we listen to messages, we read our Bibles, we maybe read Christian devotionals, we maybe have conversations about the Bible and the things of God so, so that the, the thoughts of Jesus can be in our minds. 
But what's critical is how they really affect us. Do they get down into us enough at a foundational level that we actually start living our life according to those teachings? That we actually start building our life according to the values that Jesus is wanting us to embrace and live out? The chapter before Matthew 7, Matthew chapter 6, at the end of the chapter, there's a famous statement of Jesus. You might, you might have heard this before, maybe not, but he said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Okay, this is a teaching of Jesus about how to approach our life. He says, seek first to be ruled by God and seek first to be right before him, and then the things you're concerned about in life will be added to you. Now, in the context, the things added are referring to the basic necessities of life, you know, having a place to live and having food to eat and have, you know, the things that make our life uh, comfortable and easy to live, make us feel secure. And what he's saying is, don't get so focused on just carving out life for yourself that you forget me and you forget my ways and my righteousness. There's something more important than your basic necessities of life being met, and that is, are you seeking to be ruled by God, and are you seeking to be right with God? Have you ever heard that verse before? Seek first the kingdom. So if I were to ask you, what should be the most important thing in your life if you're a Jesus hearer or, and a Jesus follower, you'd be saying, the most, God is the most important thing in my life. Jesus is number one. He's first in my life. We know we're supposed to say that, but how do we know if we're living it? Well, Jesus helps us with that too, because we need to read verse 34. See, verse 33, seek ye first the kingdom. Okay, yes, I'm seeking God first because I give him the first day of the week. I come to church most weeks on Sunday. I give him the, I even give him the first 10% of my income. I tithe the first fruits principle. Okay, that's putting God first, right? I mean, that's, that's a chunk of money. I, I even give him the first moments of my day. When I get up, I, sometimes I have devotions, sometimes I, don't, I forget, sometimes I do it in the car. But anyway, I'm, I try to put God first in these ways. Is that what Jesus was referring to? If you keep reading and keep listening to his teaching, you find out it, he didn't just want to be first in the sense that if you give him the first day of the week, then you can live like you want the rest of the week. Or if you give him the first of your income, the first fruits, then you can do what you want with the rest. First moments of your day, live like you want. The, no, no, no. He, not, he doesn't just want to be first like he gets bought off by us just giving him the first part. He wants to be foremost in our life. He doesn't just want prominence. He wants preeminence. How have you noticed that Jesus wants to be involved in every area of your life? He has an opinion about a lot of stuff, not just the first part. In other words, it's, it's, it's about living a life that is always oriented to him, following him first and most. So in the next verse, he says, don't worry about what isn't working in your life. How do you know if you're putting God first by how much you worry? Uh-oh. I pay my tithes, doesn't that buy me the right to worry about what the, whether the 90% can stretch? Now, Jesus is giving us a way to measure whether we're putting him first. It's not the only way, but it's the one that came right there. He says, don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry whether you have enough. Don't worry about your needs being met. If you're really seeking me first, you won't have all this anxiety. 
Oh, well, I worry about things sometimes. What's that a sign of? I need to go back and really apply this value in my life. Like, I'm, I'm going to trust God. I'm going to look to Him. I'm not going to look to myself. I'm, everybody get my point? Okay. Well, well, the source of values. Now, by the way, I had a couple of pictures of houses here. Here's a picture of a house that's built on sand. Okay. Jesus said that if you hear my teaching and you don't follow through and live it out, you're like building on sand. And so, you know, obviously it's not very stable as, you know, the walls are going to crack, etc. And then the next picture is a house, uh, you know, built on a rock. I, I wouldn't want to live there. It's out in the middle of the water, but it, we're just trying to find a picture, you know, that would, you know, have the build on a rock kind of imagery to it. And, but notice the difference. You build on sand and things can fall apart. You build on a rock, it doesn't fall apart when the storm comes. How many of you have ever been in a place in your life where you felt like your life was falling apart? If you ever feel like your life is falling apart, Jesus is saying, that's a sure sign you haven't been really committed to the values that I'm teaching to you. Because you don't feel like it's falling apart even when the rain and the wind and the storms are blowing and even when the house is shaking a little bit, it, you don't fall apart. Why? Because you're built on the rock of I put God first, I trust Him, He's my source, He's my provider, He's the one that's going to see me through the storm. I built my life on Him, I trust Him, everything's going to be okay because He's bigger than the storm. Amen? And that... That bedrock confidence comes by committing ourselves to certain values. Now, those values are based on, they're like, a, they're like another word would be a presupposition. That's like a, an implicit assumption about the word. A, a presupposition is like a background belief or a foundational belief. It's like it's under the surface and you're not chanting it all the time, but it's a go-to belief in your heart and in your thought. And when, you, when you're not sure what to think, you go back to that presupposition, something that you basically believe is true in a fundamental way. Let me give an example. It'd be like, having this presupposition that God is the source and center of my life. Now, if I were to ask you, is God the source and center of your life? You would know that the right answer as a Jesus follower would be yes. God is the source and center of my life. How many of you right now would say, yeah, I, I want that to be a basic value in my life, that God is the source and the center of my life. And that's what the Bible teaches me. That's what Jesus teaches me. So, okay, yes, I'm in. God's the source. I mean, I've tried to be my own source. That doesn't always work out very good. And he wants to be the center of my life. Well, that's a little harder. I like kind of being in the middle of things. But if he wants to be at the center, if that's how life's going to go best, I can give that, I can yield that place to him. He's at the center. Instead of, I'm not the center of the universe. He is, okay. We understand what the right answer is. But how many know it's easier to say that than it is to really live out that value? God is the source of my life. What if I don't have enough? Well, when you're shaken by a circumstance of not having enough, what is your bedrock conviction? What is the belief you've committed? I'm going to live my life based on this belief no matter what happens. It's a bedrock conviction, like this is where I stand, this is how I'm going to live my life. If it doesn't work, it's still where I'm going to be. It's that level of a, of a conviction, of a foundational belief. God is the source of my life. So 
if I don't have enough and I don't think I have enough and, and, and I'm worried about, you know, it's like it doesn't seem to be happening for me and it's like, do I start freaking out and get all afraid and run around and try to fix it all myself or do I get centered and saying, you know what? You're the source of my life. You are Jehovah Jireh. I believe you are my provider. I believe you are good and you are good all the time. You have always met my needs. Here I am, dependent on you. I'm gonna stop freaking out. I'm gonna trust you. Boy, does that feel better. Trusting out is better than freaking out. It just feels so much, you have so much more peace. You know, you just trust it out. You just write it out. It's just like, no, I'm, I'm gonna hang in. I'm gonna believe that God is my source, the center of my life. Okay. Are you thinking? Good. I wanna take you to a verse in Romans 12. It's not on the screen. I'll just read it to you. Romans 12, verse two. This is from the message paraphrase. It says, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. So we need to ask ourselves, where are we gonna get our values from? What are some sources of right values and then what are some sources of wrong values? I'll put up a, a graphic here, some sources of right values. Well, obviously, if you'll believe in Christ's teaching, that's a great source for great values. If you'll have some convictions that are based on the teachings of Christ, if you'll realize there are some absolutes, there are some things that are always, always, always true no matter the situation. If you'll open yourself and really believe in the word of God and the things that are just plainly taught in the Bible, the things that are so clear you can't miss them, just need to start living it. If our faith will be in God, how many think those are great sources for right values? Like if you'd focus in on those things, you'd have a solid basis to live out a great life for a long time. Amen. Well, unfortunately, we don't always get our values from those sources. Whether intentionally or unintentionally, values can kind of get into us from a variety of sources. Here's another graphic. It's like our values can just come from our own ideas. It's like, I don't need to listen to anybody else. I'm gonna form my own opinion and I'm gonna be my own God, develop my own religion. What's right for me is what I'm gonna think is right for me. You can get into situational ethics, whatever is right, whatever gets me through the situation, whatever seems to please me or fit me, what's right for me. Or, or maybe if you're too insecure to go it on your own, then you just take a poll of all your friends. It's like, well, what everybody else thinks, that's what I'll do. Or maybe we're affected by culture. Romans 12 says, <clears throat> don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Meaning maybe if we'd think, we'd realize not everything in our culture is great. Right. I realize we get values from different sources. We get values from our family and family experiences, but, but culture and society are usually a pretty big one. 
And I know this, this creates a little bit of a tension here, like do I go with the flow of what everybody's into and what if that turns out not to be so great and, and what, what, where's the Bible in relation to culture and society in relation to what God thinks and, and you know, and I, I don't want to be totally unconnected to this, but I really want to be into God and put Him first and think His way. And, and so sometimes there are these tensions, but you know, sometimes I just feel like blowing right through them, like right now. I don't need any more shades of gray. I just need some clear black and white. Can I just say that? <laughs> now, I guess some of you are tuned into culture right now. Don't be too tuned into that, by the way. A hundred million copies of those books. By the way, the Bible sold more every week. Let, let's just say it. Let's just say it. The Bible sold a lot more than those hundred million over the same period of time and, and way more languages, et cetera. So God still having his voice in the world. But sometimes our culture just goes chasing things. It's like, it's like, okay, we want pornography for women now. Like, what did it do for men? Just say it. Okay. Now, here's the tension for us. Because on the one hand, we've got to make sure we're not being influenced by things that will actually hurt and destroy our lives. We need, we need to have a good defense, but we need to also have a good offense. Like instead of reacting to everything and like, well, I don't want that, it's like, I'm not gonna read that book. Okay, don't read that book, but read the Bible. In other words, it's not just, we not only need to play defense against influences, we don't wanna be brainwashed and we don't wanna be carried away with the tide of filth in our society and all, I understand that. But we need to then, what, what is the opposite of that? Standing up for what we know is true and right, for what Jesus believes, for what he teaches. Let's start loving with a pure heart. Let's start being faithful to our spouses. Let's believe that serving God is the best way to live life. Let's start loving our neighbor as ourselves. Let's start being a little less selfless and all focused on my pleasure and my fulfillment. Let's start laying down our lives to sacrifice for the needs of others. Let's get proactive in terms of living out the teachings of Jesus, and then maybe the darkness will be exposed for the sham that it is. Amen. I got 50 degrees of light for you. Now, this comes down to not just dealing with societal things. Okay, have an opinion about what's going on in society. I mean, it, it keeps you relevant and stuff. I'm talking now, but I want us to go way below that to something way more important than just how you react to what's going on in society. Your heart of hearts before God, what are the values you are growing in? And what values are shaping the way you see yourself the way you see your life, the way you see your family, the way you see the context that God's put you, the people that God has put on your heart to really care about and influence with your life. This needs to be a personal kind of thing. And I know we gotta have societal debate about stuff, but I, today I wanna go here more to the personal part of this. Let me give you an example. Um, Sometimes we are not aware of how influences around us have actually subtly influenced our values because it's not so blatant, like the 50 thing, you know. Something that's not so blatant would be like some of the values that get into us through legitimate uh, areas of society, like education. Um, for, for me, uh, the, the years I, I came up through a public school I went to in the small town I was in, 
there was a value that got into me that wasn't from God, it's not the Bible. Now, I was in church, I had godly parents who were pastors, so I heard the Bible and I had a lot of good Bible put into me. It was, I competed as a kid in Bible memory stuff just because I like to win. But those verses, you know, stuck around in my life later on. And, and uh, <clears throat> so I was getting a lot of the Word of God in me, but I was also, and, and very subtly by well-meaning teachers, here's what they told me over and over and over. Ken? You could be anything you want to be. I heard that so many times. At the time, I didn't understand where it was coming from. I just thought they believed in me and they were well-meaning. And later I understood that the educational backgrounds they were coming out of in our universities was pretty humanistic, meaning there's no God. You got to be the master of your own destiny. You're a mass of unlimited potential. And if, if you'll just let education save you, you can be whatever you want and have a successful life. You don't... I mean, I, at the time, I just thought, well, they like me and they believe in me. They're saying I can be whatever I want to be. Only to find out later in life, that's a total lie. It's not true. Jesus doesn't say that. He has a specific plan and purpose for each of our life. He creates each one of us uniquely. He wants to have a say in our destiny. He has a calling for our life. It's not out to us to just invent our life to be whatever we want. But I bought it because it's like, they're nice people and they seem to care about me and they said it over and over. And, but I didn't understand that I had a value that I had embraced that wasn't consistent with the teachings of Jesus. It didn't, I didn't really understand that till first year of college. I went away to school and it was a great opportunity. And they asked me the first week, what do you want to major in? I hadn't even thought about that. It was just like, it was a free ride and it was a long ways from home and I wanted to have fun, you know. <laughs> I want to play ball, you know. And um, <clears throat> so the, the guidance counselor said, well, the entrance exams you took, uh, you, did, you, did a, you did pretty well in math. You did so well, you could skip the first two courses. I was like, skip courses? <laughs> cool, that's a value. <laughs> So in the back of my mind, I can be whatever I want to be, right? So I was like, okay, sign me up. I'm a math major. So this is not some careful decision of my future. It was just, I'm just going on. I could be whatever I want to be. So I get into the class, and I'm doing fine. I'm getting straight A's. Uh, a little past the halfway point in the semester. One afternoon, about 2 o'clock, I went back to my dorm with that day's math assignment. You know how math assignments, the first several problems are always over stuff you've done before, and then the last couple problems are over the new material. You know, you know how that works. But I couldn't even understand the first one. Could not get it. it my, it's like the math chip was gone from my brain. I went from 2 in the afternoon to 2 o'clock in the morning trying to understand it. Got some of my classmates to help me, and it's like it was gone. I got straight Fs the rest of the semester. For the first time, I flunked the class. and was like, what? Now, I think God pulled the math chip because he's trying to teach me a better value. Not that I can be whatever I want to be, but that he had a calling on my life and I needed to surrender what his plan for my life was. And that was a dramatic, kind of a traumatic experience, actually. But it got me thinking. It's like, Okay, well, I guess, I guess I can't do math anymore. So the next semester, I switched to sociology. I figured that was easier. <laughs> it was. <laughs> but God was still working on me to get me to understand, like, I really need to submit to his purpose for my life. 
I hope you don't mind me telling you that personal story. What, what I'm trying to illustrate here is we need to just allow the Holy Spirit to sift through the values that we've taken in as we've grown up and lived life and lived in society, been educated in different, you know, whatever. It's like the influence we've allowed to shape us. Can we let the Holy Spirit just kind of filter through those and can we let him just weed out the stuff that isn't really true, that really won't pay off, that really won't work, that really won't give you the kind of life you really wanna have in God? And so that the, just the pure truth of Jesus' words and the Bible can be what we build our life upon. Everybody think you should let the Holy Spirit sort through your values? That's what this series is for us, for us to be thinking about these kind of things and inviting the Holy Spirit to do this in us. Well, in my last few minutes here, I wanna just share with you six areas that affect our values, that our values affect, and the interplay between these, and I'll just move through them one at a time. I've got a slide for each one of them. First one is our character. These are six areas that values affect. And there's an interaction between your character and your values. Character is our true self that is being developed into the person that God desires. And you know, the quality of our life is more affected by our character than it is by some of the things that we tend to determine. We think, well, genetics determines our life. Nah, only certain things, but not the quality of your life. Uh, your environment, well, we're just the product of our environment. Read the Bible, that's not true. You're not the product of your environment, you're the product of how you respond to your environment. Look at Samuel, he became godly in an ungodly environment. You don't have to be the product of your environment, you will be the product of whether you let God help you respond rightly to it. Or we think, well, our personality or our social status or all these things, it's really our character that determines what our life becomes like. So let me give you an example. If you value self-protection above all else, Maybe reasonably so, because early in your life there were things that were hurtful or things that made you feel insecure and, and you realize, uh, you know, like somebody needs to take care of me, I need to take care of me. And if that becomes the highest value in your life, how can you ever learn to forgive anybody? Maybe you live by this mantra, burn me once, your fault. Burn me twice, my fault. Anybody ever heard that? Now, the Bible wouldn't say that you shouldn't have an appropriate caution or protection of what's valuable or that you shouldn't care what happens to you, but if, if you get a value that gets out of bounds with other values, it can get you into a way of thinking about your life and a way about making decisions that your character is not marked by forgiveness, it's only marked by self-protection. Burn me twice? When they asked Jesus that question, he said 70 times seven. Well, Jesus, don't you care about whether we're cared for? No, of course he cares about that. But he knows that if we don't learn how to forgive, we'll never be free. So what are the things, what are the values that are shaping our character? The next area is our roles in life. The parts we, a role is how, is like the part we play or how we contribute to the whole. So, you know, it's, it's like we have different roles in life, whether it's in a family, we're a parent, we're a spouse, we're a brother, sister, you know, child, whatever, then there's, there's roles like you're a student, you're a teacher, there's roles in society, you're a boss, you're an employee, you know, there's, there's all kinds of roles and responsibilities that we have in life that are, that are relationships, you know, roles in, in terms of relationships. Well, the Bible has values concerning all of those. 
There's biblical values that should guide all of those relationships and all of those responsibilities, all the parts we play in relationship to other people. The Bible has a lot to say about how to parent and how to be a spouse. The Bible has a lot to say for bosses and employees. And the Bible has a lot to say for all of these roles and responsibilities. For instance, are you just gonna value looking out for number one or are you gonna believe the Bible that says in honor, preferring one another? It's like the Bible will counter some of what society tries to put into us is the best way to do relationships. Or maybe when it comes to responsibility, like okay, you have authority and influence with other people. Maybe it's in a workplace or whatever. Well, consider Rehoboam in the Old Testament, the guy to whom the book of Proverbs was originally written, who made one of the stupidest decisions ever. But they, he, they came, he got counsel from two sources about what to do with a tax petition, a relief petition that came to him. And the younger men said, you got to show them who's boss. And the older men said, you need to serve them and then they'll serve you. And he chose to go with the younger counsel. It's like, well, I'm going to establish my authority. And he lost 10 out of the 12 tribes the next day. It's like there are, there are ways to go about these roles and relationships that will produce great fruit, and there's ways that'll produce a lot of difficulty. Everybody following this? Third one, our mission. What is your life mission? Our discerned destiny and desired achievements. Like, what are you living your life for? What's the mission of your life? Well, values help us fulfill our overall God-given purpose. Our values drive our mission. And uh, we need to, and by the way, this is worth spending some time thinking about. If you had to articulate your life mission in a sentence or two, could you do that? Now, it might take a few years to figure it out. It might take trying some things and bouncing yourself off different opportunities until you see what God's really going to grace you in and what he's going to annoy and what's going to be fruitful. But eventually, you should be able to get this sense. And if you don't know it, you should definitely be pressing in to ask God for it. And you should be thinking about it like, God, what is my life mission? Because at the end of your life, how are you going to know whether you accomplished it or not if you couldn't even define it? And I'm not saying it can't change and grow over time, and, and but... Here's some that I've heard, I've heard people say things, things as general as, well, I want to make a difference. That's cool. Or I want to raise a good family. Wow, that's a wonderful mission to have. Uh, well, I heard one person say, my mission in life is to heal the broken. And knowing their life, they had known brokenness and known pain, and, but God had brought healing to them and it just so changed them that it just became kind of the driving force of who they were. And for them, their whole life is just about bringing healing to the broken. Pretty cool mission. Now you can't borrow somebody else's mission. Just like I've never found the math chip again. You know, it's like you've got to do what God has designed you to do and be what he's designed you to be. Here's another one. I heard a person say this, to create wealth for God's kingdom. That's pretty cool. To work for justice, to raise up leaders, to reach my generation. I'm just throwing out samples. I'm not saying you should pick one of those. I'm just saying, do you know what the God-given mission of your life is. Well, values will really help shape that. The next one, number four, is our passions. This is another area that values affect. Passions are the driving inner forces that move us towards different goals. You gotta have a passion. It'll be in sync with your mission if you let the Holy Spirit arrange this within you. 
and you'll, you'll have a passion for the thing that God has really designed you to do. And man, that's when life works best, when your life fits you hand in glove. And what God has you doing really fits who he's made you to be. And the doing is just an outworking of the being. You, you just get into this. It's the labor to enter into rest. You get in this sense of rest where this is who I'm meant to be. This is what I'm meant to do. This fits me. This suits me. I think this is the best version of me. Yes, I'm totally dependent on God's grace and I couldn't do it without him. But boy, does this challenge me. And man, does this fulfill me as I live this out. This is possible. It's entirely possible. I have one of my passions. If you don't, I'm just trying to make each one of these practical. So, uh, sorry for the personal reference, but uh, and I don't think this needs to be anybody else. This just this is my, one of mine. I others share this, but I have a passion to see people grow. I love it. I, I think I'm meant to be a coach. I, I love watching people change. I, watch, I love watching their life get free from stuff. I, lo I, wa I love watching them learn. This is why I'm addicted to college students. I've never gotten out of school. Because <laughs> in that season of life, you're finally smart enough to know you need to learn and grow and change, and yet you're young enough to really grow and learn and change. I'm just, I'm addicted. I love that. So when something happens in my sphere of influence and somebody all of a sudden realizes they have a big need to change, to me, I'm not put off by that. I'm not threatened by that. It's not like, how come you're not perfect yet? It's more like job security. <laughs> somebody needs to change? Let me try to help. <laughs> okay, that might seem weird. But, <laughs> but it's the greatest privilege. I, I love this. Every year, I, just, I, I watch people change. I watch them grow. I watch them learn. I watch them discover what God has for them. I watch the Word work in them. I watch the Holy Spirit deal with them. It's like, and the greatest privilege is to, the funnest thing I do is to get to have heart-to-heart -heart conversations. I think hearts are sacred and it just blesses me like nothing else if somebody would trust me with their heart and, and to get to you know, talk on a heart level and then watch the fruit of that as God works through somebody. It's a passion. Decisions is number five. The next one, values guide our decisions, our ability to choose from the options we face. Sometimes decisions are easy, it's you know, totally good versus evil, but a lot of times we have choices that are perplexing and they're difficult and they're confusing. It's like, well, this is a good option, that's a good option, that's a decent option, I, I kind of want to do this, but maybe I feel like I should do that. Like, how do I sort through this? And when you have clearly established values, it makes decision-making so much easier. But when you're not clear on your values, Decision-making, can, you can really be lost in a fog trying to sort through things. And then, then your decisions are just driven either by ambitions and desires or they're driven by negative things like fear and doubt rather than be guided by a bedrock of values that then you see the Holy Spirit lead your life to be consistent, a consistent expression of those. My last one is responses, number six. Our attitudes in the face of failure, success, and life's mysteries. You know, our decisions affect our life because decisions have consequence and outcome. So some of your life is affected by the choices you've made, where you've put yourself, people you've gotten to know, etc. But then there's times and there's things in life that you cannot control. You didn't choose for it to happen. You didn't want it to happen. You didn't cause it to happen. 
It just happened. Everybody live long enough to know this? Like sometimes life just surprises you and it's not the result of something you did or you made happen and it's out of your control. Well, we can't control everything that happens in our life. Just can't do it. We're not sovereign. We're not in charge of the universe. We can't control what everybody else does around us. People can do stuff. It can hurt. But we always have a choice as to how we respond to what happens to us. So what guides our response, especially in the things that are confusing or the things that are hurtful or the things we just wish would never would have happened or the things that are just head scratchers like, what does that mean? Why did that happen? How can that be good? That's where we find out what our values really are. And if you've established in your life a bedrock of right values, then when the storms come, the wind and the rain, everything's shaking, you don't fall apart. Why? Because you go to those values. Let me give you one example. This was not true early in my life, but I can honestly say before God it is true now that one of my defaults, not one of my faults, one of my defaults, like just I don't have to think about it to react that way when something happens, is to trust God. It wasn't always like that. But now if something happens and, and it's something bad, it's something you, know, you wouldn't want to see happen, it's a surprise, it's just hit you, it's like my default now is to trust God. Like, no, this caught us by surprise, it didn't catch God by surprise. We may not be in charge of this, but God is in charge. We may not see how to bring good out of this, but God can bring good out of this. There's just this default trust in God that gives me peace in the midst of storms when they come. Now, that wasn't always the case. How many of you have ever been like, like I was, and your default was when something bad happens, you freak out? Like the freak out default's pretty common. But how do you move from a freak out default to a trust God default? You build that value into your life. You read those scriptures and you apply them. And when you're freaking out, you stop freaking out. You go read the verses. You pray and speak in tongues. The Holy Spirit help you. You get some peace in the midst of the storm. You get yourself calmed down, trusting God. Then the next day you wake up and freak out again. Then you go capture those thoughts, bring them subject to the word of God. You go quote your verses again, pray some more until you get peace back in your life. You freak out the next day and you go back and get yourself trusting again. And you do that enough and your default changes over time because you've laid a value in your life like this bedrock so that when everything shaking, you don't lose it. We trust in God's goodness. We trust in his sovereignty. We trust in his plan. When we don't see, he sees. When we don't know, he knows. When we don't have enough, he has enough. And when you build that value in, and, and then all the storms do is reinforce it. They don't shake it, they reinforce it. It's like, after the storm's like, Oh, that foundation feels a little stronger now. Why? Because let me change the analogy here to a tree. You know the redwood trees? Two-thirds of the tree is under the ground. Two-thirds. Sure see a lot up there. Have you ever been to the redwoods? There's a lot above ground, but there's two-thirds. Two that's only a third of the tree. There's two-thirds under the ground. Such a root system. That's why they don't blow down easy in a windstorm. Trees around here that blow down easier are the ones that have shallow roots. You ever seen the root ball just kind of shallow in a tree? It's like, what kind of tree do we want to be? 
We want to have so much roots down into God and down into the teachings of Christ and down into the values of Scripture that no matter what comes our way, we don't freak out, we don't fall apart, we stand strong in Him. What are some of the values that the Holy Spirit wants to grow in you right now? Because your values determine who you are, how you live, how you think, how you act. In this season, I'd like to invite all of us to be allowing the Holy Spirit to talk to us about our values. How about the value of being authentic? Uh, these are ones that the Holy Spirit has really worked on in me that I, I, I so value, I could cry thinking about them. I so want to be genuine, I want to be real. That the last thing I want to be is a hypocrite. Or the value of being trustworthy, I want to be dependable. I want, to, I want people to feel safe with me because I know I can't help if they don't feel safe with me, et cetera. I mean, there, there's so many we can do. What I'm going to ask you to do is open your heart to the Holy Spirit's inspection because here's how good values really grow in us. We give ourselves to the Word and we give ourselves to the work of the Holy Spirit. And He anoints the Word to our heart. He exposes the areas of our heart where our values are not quite right. He anoints the truth to our heart so that truth can set us free. And He's the one that comes like that mason who just puts those blocks into place and makes sure they're cemented down strong. And He's the one. He cares more about your value system than you do. Maybe we should let Him help us with ours during this season. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me? I'm going to ask Pastor Mark to come and close the service here, but let's just right now open our hearts to the Holy Spirit. Would you put your hands together for Pastor Ken? Wow. How many would be uh, honest with himself to just say, you know, there's probably at least one area of my life where God put his finger on it this morning. Come on, you got a, you got a value conflict, a value tension in your life. I think that that's, that's okay to admit because that's part of being human. But here's, here's the kicker, is that we now have a responsibility based upon what we've heard as he started by saying, we're not gonna just be listeners, but we're gonna follow. Let me encourage you with this one thought. As you leave today, Think about that one area. It might be your thought life. It might be the value of purity. It might be forgiveness over anger. There might be an area that you're thinking about. Go home and find some scriptures about that one area. Do exactly what he said. Put all the scriptures about forgiveness or purity or peace or joy or trust. And put those into your daily devotions. Read them every morning, pray them every morning, and begin to change that value to be a bedrock in your life. Can I pray for you real quickly as we close this morning? Just, just bow your head, close your eyes. Lord, we thank you for speaking to us today. Lord, we know that, Lord, we are people that are in the process of becoming like Jesus. Lord, none of us have figured it out yet. Lord, but you said that the one thing that we should do is we should focus on what's ahead, not what's behind. And I pray that as everybody leaves here today, that you would give them 
at least one area that they could begin to not just listen, but do in their life. And so Father, you quicken everybody. You speak to them right now in Jesus' name, Father, that we would be a value-based people, Lord, that would live like Jesus and would share his love.